0: everybody. <sighs> wow, I loved that response. I like never expect that. That was that was awesome. <laughs> Thanks. So tonight, you guys notice we have uh, no Alex and no Jake tonight. They're up to some fun stuff. Alex is teaching at a conference in Australia right now. Pretty fun, huh? I know it's like he's the big time and he I saw I was peeking on my husband's phone over there and he got a text and it was like hey how's church from like this crazy number and then this is Alex so he's thinking of you guys thinking of us Very fun. And then Jake and Becky are off on a vacation, a pre baby vacay. So we um, just so much blessing on them. We're so excited for what they're up to and can't wait to hear stories when they're back next week. And next week is going to be a fun one. If you guys remember, we mentioned it last week, but Chris Cruz from Bethel is coming up to speak with us. It's going to be super fun. I think we have a slide for him. Yeah, that's his book that he wrote. I mean, I don't know what he's going to talk about. I'm going to guess it's something along those lines. But, awesome guy from everything I've heard, and he's going to bring the heat. You guys don't want to miss it. It's a time to invite friends, people you know, to come and just enjoy that and be a part of it as we welcome a guest to come speak with us all the way from Reading. So it'll be awesome. Join us for that next week. For this week, we are in the House of Acts series still. Um, We're going to be in Acts 6. If you guys want to stand with me um, as we open up our Bibles to Acts 6, verse 1, And we'll read this together. Acts 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert of Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You guys can take a seat, and let's let's pray before we get started. God, we are so grateful for just your word, and as we look at Acts, we're so grateful for just what it tells us about the church, what it tells us about who you are, what it tells us about what you love. We're thankful to be in this place and to get to be together. Um, Just Holy Spirit, we invite you to do whatever you want. Um, whatever you want with this teaching, with this time, and I pray that it would be a time where we just get to learn from you, get to learn from um, what you would have for us, and the promises that you have, and just really enjoy the beauty that is your scriptures, God, and getting to be your people. love you in your name. Amen. So I was thinking about, uh, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but about my Christmas gifts that I got this year, and one of the Christmas gifts that I got that was like Not weird, but, like, very unexpected. First of all, it was from my sister. She never gets me anything. She is living over in Spain right now, and she sent me, you know, the, like, um, DNA kits? She sent me, like, a 23andMe kit. And so it's a thing where you you do the swab, and you send it in, and it comes back. And it, like, tells you all the countries that you're from, which is pretty cool, pretty fun. But I was, like, after she sent it, I saw them, like, all over Target, like, whenever I would go. Or I'd, like, go to the store, and they're all sitting there. I was, like, what? Is up. Everybody just, like, wants to know their genetics. And so I was doing a little bit of Googling on that, like, while I was preparing this teaching. And it was saying that in 2019, there was, like, 26 million of these kits that were bought. And then they were like, okay, and by 2020, it's going to be up to 100 million. And I was like, people are obsessed with, like, knowing their countries, which I think it goes deeper than that. I was like thinking through the reasons why we want to know where we come from, right? The reasons why we want to know, oh, that's like my place of origin or, oh, those are my people or that's my family. And like we're very, as people, I think just drawn to this idea of where do I come from? Who do I belong to? Where do I belong to? And as I was thinking about what we're going to talk about tonight, I think it's part of that desire that makes me so excited about church history, and so excited about what we get to see in Acts of like, oh, this is where like the people of God like started of what we see as the church. Now this is the beginnings. And I think there's a super rich context that comes with that of being like, oh, this is we're the family of God, right? We're Jesus people. This is like our history. This is where we came from. This is our, our origin story. And so a passage like where we just read in Acts is something that's telling us of the beginnings of this family. But it's also, I think, a promise of what God's going to do. So when we look at history and we see what God's done with the church, we also, um, you'll hear the language sometimes use prophetic inheritance. It's telling us of, oh, this is what we will receive as the church. Not only is it history, but it's promise. And so tonight as we look, look at this passage in Acts, I want us to think about this as Acts as this people who started the church, who started what we are a part of today, these Jesus people, that we would get to remember like, oh, that's part of our history and also part of our promise. There's a quote from the, it's called the epistle of, sorry, I'm like scratch, scratching my face and it's probably, it probably sounds annoying. Um, anyway, Epistle of Diognetes. It's from AD 130, it's super early church, and it's um they don't know who the author was, but it's kind of this like lens looking in at what the church looked like, and they talk about it. And I just want to read a part of this writing to you guys. they're talking about the Jesus people in AD 130. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners, but also persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. To sum it all up in one word, what the soul is to the body, that are Christians in the world. What the soul is to the body, that are Christians in the world. And I I thought this was the most beautiful description ever of like, talking about Christian people what the soul is to the body Christians are to the world and this reputation told from it seems the point of an outsider looking in is that history of the church family it's a story of what the church was like and in that we get to say oh that's what the church was like so there's promise in that for us And so as we look at Acts today, that's what I kind of want us to approach it with, is like we're approaching a different time, a different people, and we want to honor that history, want to honor that context. But at the same time, we can't fully separate ourselves from the story when we look at the people of Acts and we look at what's happening with the church, like that's our story too. Like that's our family. That's where we came from and with that, there's a prophetic inheritance. And I think that just makes me excited. <laughs> like I wanna I wanna know what the scriptures are saying about yes, their history, their context, all of that, but also like God's saying with his scriptures a story for today. And so as we dive into Acts, um, I just want us to be remembering that. But let's get into it. We'll get verse one. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So first thing we see here with the early church is they're they're actually organized. So by the fact that they're saying like, oh, we can watch the number of disciples increase, this means that they're in some capacity, they're meeting. They're watching their numbers grow. They're paying attention to what's happening in the church. And there's also this idea that we see here of the daily distribution of food. So also the church is taking on this system for food distribution, caring for the poor. And that kind of brings us back to, you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, um, we were talking about the new temple. So the new temple is Jesus' covenant family, and it's God's presence and blessing to the world. So as we look at this text tonight, we're actually seeing them continue to live that out as they're distributing food to the poor. But as they're living it out, there's a problem. So even the early church had problems, Right? And this one has to do with money. It's with resources. They're talking about allocation of resources. And we are introduced to two distinct groups, uh, the Hellenistic Jew and the Hebraic Jew. So to really simplify it, basically, Hebrews were the Jews more inclined to embrace Jewish culture, and they were mostly from the area of Judea. And then Hellenists were Jews who were inclined to embrace Greek culture, and they were from like the Roman um, Empire. And to oversimplify, you see these two groups clash in history, not just here, but Hebrews tended to regard Hellenists as kind of unspiritual compromisers, whereas Hellenists regard Hebrews as like holier-than-thou traditionalists, to kind of put it in our language. And so we're seeing this hinted division, division in the church. So another thing, not new to us, right? Like we still see that today. But What I think we see here that's really special is how the disciples respond to the complaint. So it doesn't even tell us if the complaint is justified. It doesn't tell us if there is like really a gross injustice happening. But this complaint makes the disciples stop and they say, okay, what do we do? And that's where we get to verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. So they don't meet this distribution issue with okay, here's like a scramble to fix it or like how do we please both parties or what do we do? They realize that they're going to meet the need by knowing that they're not the ones to solve it. This isn't an arrogant display on the part of the disciples. It's good leadership. The ability to recognize their call and gifting and say yes to it while still admitting that there are valuable contributions to the body that they can't make and say no to what is not for them. The recognition that how they've been trying to run things isn't serving the people the best no one person can be everything to the church no one person can accomplish god's vision for the church leaders are people who know what to say no to but also how to empower people to go beyond them to steward what they can't or what they shouldn't so enter here the choosing of the seven that we just read about right and some translations use that language of the seven deacons. So you'll see the like subtitle and text, choosing the seven or choosing of the seven deacons. And if you guys have been around here, Saints Hill, you'll know that we use that language too, of deacons. Our really short definition for it is, a deacon is anyone over an area of service. But it does go way beyond that. So in Acts 6, you'll even see how far it goes beyond that. Because in verse three, it says, not only are they over an area of service, but the qualification is that they're full of the spirit and wisdom. So it's not about finding someone who can handle responsibility, someone who's really good at one thing, it's finding people who are full of the spirit and wisdom. So being able to steward responsibility, well, it doesn't come from a skill set, according to the disciples, it comes from being full of the spirit of God, of being men and women who are living out that temple identity, the indwelling of God, who are after what he says and who then can take that responsibility and that burden can be light because of where they're finding their strength and their source. And it's not just about being people of the spirit, but it's people of wisdom. And wisdom comes from that secret place, from knowing Jesus, what his word says about life, about being a person who stops and asks, God, where are you going? What are you doing? Because I want to go there too. And that's why those are necessary qualifications for leaders. One, because you can't lead people somewhere that you've never been, right? So if you're somebody who doesn't doesn't know how to like, follow the spirit, who doesn't know his wisdom, who doesn't know what it looks like to spend your days with him, you're not gonna be able to lead in the church because you can't lead people where you haven't been. You have to go there with him first. And two, this is a necessary qualification for these leaders because these leaders can be trusted with responsibilities that impact the entire body. Because if you're after the spirit, you're not after selfish ambition. And that's the biggest, the biggest two reasons that we're looking for these types of people to come and lead as the seven deacons. And I think when I think about that qualification of they need to be people after the spirit, after what he loves, after what he does, before we even look at skill set, before we even talk about what their job is going to be, I think back to when this church very first started. And a lot of our deacons that we have now were at those like, very first meetings when we got to meet together and just pray about what the church could look like, think about what it would look like. And I remember sitting in that room and seeing like these people gather together and just thinking like, whoa, these people. And it wasn't because I, like, knew what their jobs were, or I knew what their, like, skill set was, or I I didn't really know much about them. But when you hear them speak, you hear words of life and words of people that are after what the Holy Spirit wants. And so I think that, like, we are, like, getting to live in this, I think, by God's grace and also by, like, Andoni, Jake, Alex, and them. That's, like, their first priority when they choose people who are going to get to come in and get to lead. And I think if you guys have met our deacons too, you could attest to that that they are just after what Jesus is after. You guys know the serve cards that we have in the lobby, their lobby hallway? I don't know what we're supposed to call that area. Something. Foyer, probably, if you're really fancy. And they each have, like, the area of service, and on that, there's a vision statement. That vision statement, I am always, like, in awe, because each deacon wrote those. It wasn't, like, one of, like, Alex didn't go write all those. Each deacon wrote the vision statement for their area of service, And I think they're really beautiful because it doesn't just point to like, okay, yeah, here's how to do hospitality. Here's our like vision for how we want to give people cookies. It goes bigger than that. It's each vision statement is saying, let's see his kingdom come in a different way. And when you have people like that, it allows everyone, when you know that your leaders are after his kingdom come, it allows everyone to give their specific yes. And you'll see in verse five that when they get to choose those seven, And they pick those men, and they pick them together, that they get to say, like, okay, these are men that we trust because they're people of the Spirit, they're people who walk in truth, they're people who are wise, and then you'll get to see that these are people they can trust with the vision of the church. That The leaders that we see as the apostles are able to hand off responsibility because they're saying, oh, these are people that we can trust, and we can trust them with the vision of the church. And verse 7, I think, gives us, again, a vision of the church that we've seen a lot of times in Acts but it says, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient in their faith. Verse one, we saw it, right? The increase of disciples. Verse seven, the numbers of disciples increase. The vision of the church is that it would grow. And not for the sake of church growth or just being able to like tally off numbers, but the church grows when people come to know the good news of Jesus. Jesus. The church is designed to be this collective point to Jesus, that people would come together, point to who he is, and because of that, because people are encountering him, it would grow. There's a great quote from C.S. Lewis, and it says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy missions, sermons, even the Bible itself, are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Paul would say the same thing, The message on the lips of God's people was the name of Jesus. That's why they saw the church growth that they saw is because their message was the gospel in its simplicity. And the gospel, it's still the same. Church doesn't matter (laughs) if we separate it from Jesus. Nothing that we do, none of the like to-dos that we have matter apart from him. And that's what they got. They got that when we do something like church, it's the people are here so that others would encounter the presence of God, his kindness, his renewal, Jesus would put it this way so that we could see it on earth as it is in heaven. The structures of this body of people that we see established between one and seven were put in place to serve that vision on earth as it is in heaven. Those deacons, they were chosen to serve that vision, to care for people in such a way that they would get to see heaven come. And we want the same thing here at Saints Hill, right? We want to see what God's doing and we want to build structures. Yeah, but we want to build structures to serve what he's up to. We don't try to build something and then invite God to fit his way into it. We wanna see what he's doing and build around it. And I think even when church isn't meeting our expectation or when church has earned a reputation or when church doesn't seem relevant, we get to remember these things. We get to remember what God says about his church, that we're gonna see heaven come through his church, that we're gonna see kingdom renewal through his church. And no matter what your background with church is, no matter where you've been heard or if you've seen leadership fail or whatever it is, there's at least a little bit of you guys, because you're all here tonight, a little bit that says like, I believe the beauty of the church that the scriptures talk about. I believe that there's something bigger at play here. Because even if what you've experienced is ugly, even if culture seems like it would wanna move beyond the church, we look at the scriptures, we listen to God's intention, and we believe that he has something that we get to partner in, and we wanna say yes to it. We, uh, if you guys will remember, a couple weeks ago we had an altar call. It was like an altar call for surrender. And I came up here and I was saying, Brie came and she prayed for me. But I remember looking around and I was like, these people, because you guys, you are hungry. There was like so many of you up here, but even if you looked back, it was like the worship is real, the hunger is real. And I was like, this is like what I want to be a part of. It's not a system. It's not like a place so that I have somewhere to go on a Sunday. It's because I wanna be a part of this people What he's up to with you guys. So what is God's intention for his church? Tonight we're looking at a small piece of how they built that early church, but I think we're gonna go beyond that how to the why. You guys will hear us talk about that a lot here. It's like, okay, what's our why? Why do we do what we do? And when we look at the church as we see it in Acts 6, an organized body of people giving their yes to where the spirit is leading them, to their unique set of gifting and contribution, trusting one another and partnering with this bigger vision and seeing his kingdom come. We're invited to inherit that same why, right? We talked about inheritance. So why, why the church? Why do we do it? Why do we show up? What can Acts teach us about why this is so important? And I think from the text tonight, there's three really big reasons that jump out tonight. The first one is the church is a people that's organized to bless the world. When you think of church, is that what you think? Do you think a blessing to the world? We live in a time, I think, when you would hear probably more often words like irrelevant or closed-minded, or I think of like my groups of friends that I have at work or out wherever, and it's like, well, why, why would you go? Or you could just be the church at home. Why do we do church the way that we do? Or maybe the perception isn't even a negative one. Maybe it's just that people look at the church and they're like, it's cool that, cool that they do that, but it doesn't seem much different. But when you look at God's vision for church and the story of the church, it's actually like a very different-looking people. It's a set-apart people, and that because of their set-apartness, they're able to freely give of themselves and invite people into a truer narrative. Like we see in Acts, they're a family of Jesus being this new temple to the world, and that means being a blessing, taking care of people, inviting his healing presence. And this intention of God is really cool because we see it in Acts, right? And we see the church start in Acts, but it goes way further back than that. God's redemptive mission started with, like all the way back with Israel and it culminated with Jesus and it comes today to the church and we get to inherit that mission. Take a look at Genesis um, 12, one through three with me. It's the call of Abraham when Jesus gives it. And it says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Israel is commissioned to be God's people on his behalf to the world. And then Jesus arrives, and he fulfills all that that's been spoken to him and that he would redeem Israel, and that through his sacrifice he could redeem all people and invite them to join on that mission, to partner with him in the redemption of all things. And then in Acts, we see the arrival of the Holy Spirit, this people of God become an indwelling of his presence, that they're able to go out and be that blessing to the world and carry that on. It's a connected story that God's been doing all along, and I think that's what makes it so fun to get to be at the part that we're at, that we get to be the church now, that we get to look back and say like, oh, that's the history that I come from, And this is what we're doing. We're joining God in his mission. There's um, an author named Christopher J. Wright, and he actually wrote a book all about this. It's called The Mission of God. And he talks about this, the overarching narrative, all the way from Genesis, all the way to Revelation, and the mission God is on with his people. And he has a quote that says this, the things that happen in Luke's story from John the Baptist to Paul are not just an exciting narrative. They are things that have been fulfilled They bring the whole Old Testament story of Israel to its climax and destination as the purpose for which God created Israel in the first place, the blessing of all nations, now becomes reality through the mission of the church. And that's really cool. That's really big, this mission for the church. It's so much bigger than a Sunday. It's so much bigger than just us coming here and going through a motion. God's saying, I have a mission for you people as my church. And that's what makes it so fun. Like I talk talk to people all the time who it's like, oh, I stopped going to church because I was bored or like didn't have anything to offer me or I just like wasn't connecting. But when you see that mission, when you see that vision, like how can you not get excited? Because that mission also tells us that church was never put there for our comfort. It was never put there to be a place so that we could have a rhythm to go to somewhere on a day or so that we could have like people in our lives who think the same way that we do. I think those are parts of it, but it's so much bigger than that. The biblical vision for church is a new kind of family, a family who cares for one another in the world to the point where the world can't ignore them, a people of power who are seeing God move and who testify to who he is. And that's what makes it so much fun (laughs) to get to be a part of. What makes it a... Sunday is a crucial rhythm because it's part of that bigger mission, part of that bigger vision. And that's why each time we come together on a Sunday, that it would be intentional. That when we come and we're together as this larger family, that each piece would have intention. That when we come and we start and we worship together, it'd be a time when we come and we get to celebrate what he's been doing through the week. We get to come to each other, and even like we did earlier, we get to come to each other and pray that God's presence would encounter each and every person. That worship isn't just there because, oh, it's what you do when you start a gathering, no. Worship is there because it's our encounter with the king. That we get to come all together, get this glimpse of heaven as a people coming with one mind, one voice to praise our creator. It's intentional. We have a time of offering, right? We did that tonight. And it's a time where we're reminded as a people, like, oh, you are a generous people. Be reminded of your identity. Be reminded of what you're here for, to be generous to the world, to remind them of the goodness of God through your generosity. We have time of teaching, not because there's like, oh, there's a few people that have good stuff to say, it's because this, the word of God, our Bibles, they are living, and they're moving, and that word is important for us to know, that each of us here will learn how to interpret it, how to look at it and say, okay, God, what are, what are you saying? How can I submit to your word? How can I submit to your authority through your word? So that we can know what he says about the world and learn how to come to it and say, God, I believe what you say. I believe what you say about me. I believe what you say about the world. We do things like take communion or baptisms because we wanna proclaim that we're a people that moved from death to life, that we're a people who get to call the name of Jesus in his death and his resurrection. So every piece, it's intentional. We're not just here because it's how it's done. We're here because we're saying this is a crucial part of that bigger mission. The gathering is a time when we organize to be a blessing by identifying ourselves with King Jesus, with his vision for the renewal of the world. And if we're able to do that, if we truly can come together here on a Sunday and say, like, yes, God, we're in. We're in for your vision for the world. Then we can come within the structure and remember our call to go beyond it, to go beyond it to people. And for us to be the church in Newburgh, to be the church of the world, it takes all of us, right? It takes this collective family, but it also is gonna take the each of you, the each of us. It takes the collective, but also takes the one. So in Acts 6, we see this corporate impact of the church. We see adding of numbers day by day, but we also see the importance of giving your individual yes. You see that with the disciples who said like, oh, okay, it's not for us to wait tables. We're going to preach the word of God. And you see that with the deacons who come in and say, okay, we're taking over this area of service. They knew their unique yes that they had to give. A person who says yes to the invitation of Jesus, who says yes to God's spirit, it becomes a person of real wisdom. Remember what they said about Stephen when they picked him? that He's a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So Stephen didn't get that reputation because he showed up to the corporate. He didn't get that reputation because he showed up and took part. He gets that reputation because that means he had a rhythm of being with Jesus every day, of being in the secret place, being in the quiet place, being able to be downloaded to from him. You don't get that reputation from just showing up. You get that reputation from every day getting to be with Jesus, getting to know him, to know what he's like, to let him meet you there. That's the first and most important yes, each of us has to give. Is it like, okay, am I gonna show up every day? Am I gonna, morning, night, I don't really care, are you showing up to meet with Jesus? Are you showing up, are you in in the scriptures, are you meeting with him and giving your first yes to like, God, I wanna be shaped by you? That unique and individual yes you have to give. The second unique yes that each of us is going to have to give as a part of the church is the yes in regards to our, to our gifting and to our passion. So this doesn't mean necessarily that you're giving your yes to be a deacon, or you're giving your yes to serve in kids, or you're giving your yes to serve on hospitality. Those can be really beautiful expressions. And I think part of loving the church is to serve within that Sunday context. But we also want to think outside the doors, right? We want to be a people who think outside of what Sunday looks like. We are with Jesus to the world. You're, so, you're free to think outside of what's established. So get creative. Get creative in your walk with Jesus. Get creative and think about what do you love? Is there things that like make you come alive when you see them, when you hear about them, when you do them? That you're like, oh, this makes me excited. I love this. Are there things that you're good at that people have told you that you know? Like, oh, I'm actually pretty good. I'm pretty good at this. What has God given you? is there injustices out there? Is there things that you see and it just like wrenches your heart? I think we'll notice that each of us will have like a different thing that when we see it, we're, we're reminded like, oh, that's not what it should be. What people group draws your attention? Is there people, is there like a group or an a age group, whatever it is that really draws your attention? You say, oh, I have like a special love for those people. Do you have that? Because your passions, your ideas, your strengths, they aren't given to you so that they can stay with you. You're a part of God's family, and you have a unique way that you get to bless the world. So what is it? Think of things that make you come alive, and ask the Spirit, why? Like, God, what part of this is so exciting to me? What part of this is so fun? What could he be asking you to step into just by noticing what brings you joy? That's like an easy thing to notice, right? What makes you excited? What makes you happy? Like, Jesus is doing something in that. And think about what you're good at. If you don't know what you're good at, get around people who know you and ask them. That can be a scary question sometimes, to be like, oh, what am I good at? What am I bad at? And we never want to admit we're bad at anything, but actually the most effective people are going to be those who can admit where they shouldn't be and say yes to where they should be. So ask the people that know you, people that have wisdom, who are full of the spirit and wisdom, not just anybody. You want to find people who follow Jesus, who are full of that spirit and wisdom, and ask them, what am I good at? What do you see in me? I think about um, when I was in college, I went to college for uh, public relations, so not anywhere near what I'm doing now. My, I work uh, um, on a web team, so I like do online merchandising and then I'm here. And those are my things, way apart from what I went to college for. I didn't know what I wanted, I didn't know what I was good at. It was during that time though in my life where I had people who came to me. I remember I had a um, pastor that I worked with and I was working at Dutch, Dutch Brothers at the time. I don't know. My husband tells me that that's not a real barista. I'm going to claim that it is still. I have it. But I was, like, working that job at the time. I was like, I'm in public relations because I'm going to be in, like, marketing. and I'm going to, like, make it big. And I want to bring Jesus to the corporate world, which I think those are all, like, really good dreams. But they weren't actually mine. They were things that I'd heard that I was like, that sounds pretty good. So I'm going to go for it. But I remember I had people in my life, I had people above me who were able to pull me aside and say, hey, have you like thought about, at the time it was youth stuff, they were like, hey, have you thought about like working with youth? Have you thought about like getting to teach them, to walk with them? And I remember I tried it and I was like, oh, I do love this, but I was like, but then I'm like working for the church. That seems so like not as punk rock as like what I was thinking. Not that public relations is punk rock, it's not at all. I just don't really know what punk rock is. But... (laughs) It was like taking those people that time and time again said, wait, stop, think about this. Wait, stop, what if you were able to like use how much you love the scriptures and give that away to people? And it wasn't until probably the last like couple years that I was like, yes, like doing this, what I'm doing now, I'm very new at this because it's these very first times of saying like, okay, yes, like I'm going to, I'm going to try and see what God might have in the things people are speaking over me. So get people who can speak over you, find them, ask them, people that you're around that know you. Ask them what you're good at, and maybe your direction might even change a little bit. The way you're crafted is so unique and intentional, and what you give to people is your God-given identity to the world. As you realize that identity, as you let him speak that identity, that's going to be the very best thing you can give to people. It's going to be the very best thing you can give to the world. The closer that you live to the heart of Jesus, the more you will live into who you were made to be. You guys, we're going to live our best lives when we understand who God has made us to be. When we take that God-given identity and we say, oh yeah, okay, that's who I am. That's when you're going to be the very best, very best you. Because he designed you. He knows. And like Lewis said in that quote we read earlier, it's going to look diverse. You raise your voice. Don't try to mimic another one. That's what's gonna add richness to the tapestry that is this church, Saints Hill, and what is the church in the broader sense. And on like just a family note, we're at a really fun time here at Saints Hill. We're like, we're a baby church. We're like a year and a half old, maybe something like that. Maybe two. Anyways, we're babies. And you guys here, the people in this room, are the ones that, like the leaders who started this. They prayed for you guys. They prayed for the people sitting in this room that they would be people who come and contribute their voice to what the church will be, to what Saints Hill will be. And this is such a fun time because we are so young and there's so much possibility and like, yeah, maybe there's not a ton of organization yet and we don't have a ton of like programs yet, but that's fun because that's where your guys' voice comes in. You get to say like, oh, actually, like I have a passion for this. What can we do? I have a gifting here. What can we do? I think actually my heart beats for these people. Can we go to them? And that's where like this family gets to come together and there's people that can come around you and say, oh yeah, let's try it. Whether that's in prayer or that's in like a structure or that's in something that we all do together, whatever it is, like we wanna hear your dreams. We wanna hear your passions. We wanna hear your vision. In order for like the church as a whole to hear them, you have to know them. You have to take the time to get with the Lord and say, okay, what is it? And if you do know, like let it out. Don't let the people around you miss out on getting that piece of you, on knowing that about you. We wanna see each of you rise up with a yes. And you don't have to wait for somebody to call you out. Like bring your yes to the table because God has seen you and he's giving one to you one to give away. You're gonna be the ones to take ownership, to build the Saints Hill family. This church in 10 years is gonna look way different than it looks today. And you guys are gonna be a part of that story. And we're here as leaders to spur you on so you be the biggest people that you can be. And the yes that each of you gives to your unique gifting, your unique passion, your unique story is going to be something that it really does change the course of where we go. Because God's bringing us together to be the church, to be a family, to bless the world. The third piece of this so there's, you're going to see your individual gifting and you're going to see just the fact that the church is here to bless the world. And the third part of the church, the third why we are the church, is because we get to partner in seeing his kingdom come. It's these people, it's us, who are organized to bless the world, who have given their unique yes. These are the people who are partnered together to be the church, to see his kingdom come. There's uh, another quote, and it's another um, like second century quote. I don't know. I was really loving these just really old, old pieces of work this week. But it's a quote from Irenaeus and it's a book called Against Heresies. And it's a report of the church again, still in its early days, looking at them. And it reads this. They are made whole. Yea, moreover, as I have said, the dead even have been raised up and remain among us many years. And what I say more it is not possible to name the number of the gifts which the church, scattered throughout the world, has received from God, in the name of Jesus Christ, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and which she exerts day by day for the benefit of the Gentiles, neither practicing deception upon any, nor taking reward from them. For as she is received freely from God, freely does she also minister to others." The early church was seeing heaven come all around them. Like in that quote, they're saying like, oh yeah, the dead are being raised up and they're still with us. Like this guy, he was dead five years later, here he is. That's what they're seeing. They're seeing people scattered who are receiving God, who are giving the name of Jesus, who are seeing heaven come. And that testimony, that's for us too. Like we get the chance to see heaven come. We get the chance to partner together to say, God, come do whatever you wanna do. And what I love about our church, what I love about seeing us grow is that there is, there's a hunger here. And that's what God can work with, is he can work with hunger. The biggest blessing that we can be to the world is to be who he made us to be and to invite the world into that story, to live this kingdom way together. The biggest gift that we can give to the world is the biggest gift that we can ever know for ourselves, to know Jesus, to walk with him intimately, and to receive our place in his global family to be sons and daughters. The call of the church, it means nothing without Jesus. The call for you, your unique calling, it doesn't mean anything without Jesus. He has something so big for each of us, but for all of us too. And I believe it. And I think we've talked about it. We talked about it earlier tonight, that 2020, that there's a call of freedom, that there's more for this people. We want it. I want it. And you guys want it. I see you every week. We want it. And God is going to meet us. He has met us. And I think we're going to continue to see more and more of heaven come. Of heaven come to Newberg. And then heaven come to the world. And we get to be a part of that story. We can talk about the church and about that rich inheritance we receive. About all those people that have listened to the spirit before us. The mission of God for his people. But all that is going to be empty apart from Jesus. And Lewis said it in that quote we had earlier that all that we do is a waste of time if we don't encounter him. All we do here on a Sunday is a waste of time if we don't encounter him. All that we do, I think you can even expand that to like all of life, it's a waste if you don't encounter him. That's what we're after. We wanna know him, to see him. Will we look at Jesus? Will we look at him tonight? And look at him with awe, with that chance to partner with him? Like, that's a crazy offer on the table of, like, hey, you guys want to partner with God in, like, his mission to the world? (laughs) Yeah, I do. I really do. And I hope for each of us that we say, yeah, we really do. In Philippians 3, Paul um, says this, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things... I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It is only when we see Jesus that we can understand the beauty of the call to be the church, of what it means to be his family. So as we look at Acts, and we're going to keep going through the house of Acts and learning more about what the church has done, learning more of that prophetic inheritance. But unless we see Jesus, that's all meaningless too. We must see what he has done, who he is, and give him the awe and glory that he deserves. And when we do that, we're able to say like, oh yeah, Jesus, I see you. I see your mission for the church. I see that we're to be a blessing to the world Jesus, I see you, oh, so I see who I'm made to be in you. I see who I am supposed to be because I've seen you. And then, oh, Jesus, I've seen you, so I'm seeing heaven come through you and through what you do. I'm gonna invite the communion team and the worship team up at this time. And I'm also gonna invite all you guys, you can stand with me. As you guys stand, I want you just to look to your left and to your Right to the people that are all around you. This is the church. This is us. And it goes beyond these people, yeah, but these are the people that God has given us here at Saints Hill to do this with, to partner with, to be with, and to see his kingdom come with, that we would be organized to bless the world. I want you guys to just close your eyes with me. each of you guys has a very unique yes to give. That first yes, if you haven't given it, is that yes to follow Jesus, that yes to know him, to be with him. And I invite you tonight, if you haven't, to do that, to look at him with the awe that he deserves and say yes to partnering with him. That second yes is, what does he have for you? What do you get to say yes to? What do you get to partner with him in that tonight would be a chance where he can really sure up your identity and who you are in him. He can remind you of who you are. So as you take the bread and the cup, that you would be reminded of his goodness, of his mercy, of his love, and of who he says that you are. And in that, you would get to give your yes to him. And with that, your yes to the church and your yes to the world to see his kingdom come. Let's just pray and then we'll come forward and take communion. Jesus, we are so grateful to be yours, to be your family, God, to be those who are known by you, loved by you. Pray that tonight as we take of the bread and the cup and we remember who you are, that you're so much bigger, God, than any structure that we could build. They've built temples to try and hold you, God, and you you tore the veil so that you could be with us to go beyond Jesus, to be in us and live through us. And so we thank you. We thank you for who you are tonight. And I pray that we would just be those who respond to the vision and the mission that you have for the world.